This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good to see you today. It's a it's a great day to to be alive. I I was uh, blessed this morning as I got up and looked at the frost on the on the lawn to the east of our place, and then as we drove into town, I don't know if any of you were blessed to see some deer running around, but I saw some deer running around. I'm sure the hunters were wishing that they could get after them, but, but there they were. They were like a gift from God, you know, as the deer pants for the water, it's like the Lord was just saying, pant for me as you get ready to come into church. And uh, so that's, that's part of the stuff that's happening in my own life, and it's, it's great to be here. We are in a series where we're talking about five T's of transformation on different elements where transformation can take place in our life and lead us to a place where we look more like Christ, we reflect more of Christ, where Christ is being formed in us in, in deeper places and in deeper ways. And so today we're going to be talking about time, um, really posing before us, posing the question to ourselves, is our, our use of time, the way in which time as a commodity gets, gets expressed in our life, is it something that is where we're finding the work of God transforming who we are into the, into the person that we're made to be, that we're meant to be, that Christ wants us to be? Several years ago, when I was a young pastor, I came out of seminary at 24 years of age and, and was placed in a, in a church, a small church in western New York. And in that place, I found that um, I needed to find a rhythm to, to life. Because nobody was going to tell me what, what my days ought to look like. I had to set a rhythm and order about my daily routine. And I realized that I could either uh, ha- not have a lot of things filling it up because it was a small church. There were not a, a lot of things that had to be done on a, on a weekly basis. I uh, heard after a, c- a couple of years, I heard Maxie, it was either Maxie Dunham or Lloyd Ogilvie say that one of the worst things that uh, you can do to a young person coming out of seminary is place them in a small church where they don't have a lot of work to do because they'll develop bad habits. Because if there's not a lot on your plate, you then just sort of take it easy. You can. So I was in this spot where I had to figure out what to do with my time. And being in the Wesleyan tradition, I stumbled across some words from John Wesley. He put together what we call today, or what's typically called today, 12 rules, 12 guides to preachers. Actually, when he wrote it, it was 12 12 rules for helpers, uh, people who would help Wesley in the task of preaching. And when he wrote it, he he mostly had men around him. So if you look it up, if you Google it today, you're going to find it written to, to guys, but you can certainly make all of the transference necessary so that it applies to everybody in the room. But I, I found Wesley's guides helpful. And so I printed them out and I posted them on my wall. And one of the first things that Wesley says, rule number one that Wesley says is be diligent. Never be unemployed. Never be trifling employed. Never while away time. Uh, somebody shared that with a millennial and the millennial's like, what in the world is that? And I said, I don't, when I read while away time, I think of somebody sitting with a stick and a knife and just whittling away, you know, like I really don't know what else to do, but I'm going to do that. Wesley says, never whittle away time or, or spend more time 
at any place than is strictly necessary. Is I just you can leave that back up there, Randy. As I as I looked at that as a young twenty-something pastor, that challenged me to think about how I used my time. To think, was I being diligent? Was I being employed in the things that God wanted me to be employed in? Wesley picks up on a, a text from Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he says, you use your time well. Paul in, in Ephesians 5 says, use your time well. Wesley lays it out, both in a sense of diligence, but also don't spend too much time in one place where you're at. Time and time again, I would come back to Wesley's words and I would uh, be encouraged, I'd be challenged. Sometimes maybe I was, I was lightening up the load and I needed to put more burden on myself. Or other times I was spending too much time uh, thinking or fretting or, or invested in one area. I was like the Lord was saying, uh, take a look at your time. But over the years for me, and now I would say this, if I, was, if I was in my 20s, I'd post that again, not only on my wall, but I'd post that all around me. Because um, there's a lot of things that can take up your time, right? But there's a shift that took place in my life. And I don't know if it was because we went from being um, a married couple to having kids, or if it was just the reality that we moved into some different circles and life changed a bit, but our responsibility has grown exponentially from those early days. And so now, one of the things that I discovered about, oh, I don't know, four or five months ago, was that when people would say, how's your day going? What's your life like? I typically had a four-letter word, four word response. I'd describe my life as busy. I would look at my life and I began to describe it as busy because I was and I am. Life is really full. In fact, there are days, and I'm sure you have them too, many of you have them, where you go to bed and there's, there's a lot more work that needs to be done than what you can get to in that day. There are moments in my life, Anna asked me, why do you keep waking up so early in the morning? like at four o'clock or five o'clock. Um, and I say, well, it's just because there's stuff that wakes me up. My mind doesn't shut off. Stephen Mackey, in a, in a book about creating a rule of life, asks the question, when you look back at the last 48 hours of your life, or, or maybe for you it needs to go back of, you know, you need to move the 48. Maybe you need to move them to the middle of the week. If you move your, your perspective to 48 hours of time, he said, we've got to really ask the question. If we're living with a rhythm of life that enables us to engage with God and to do the work of God. And so he, he asked a number of questions uh, like this. He said, do an account. Over the past 48 hours, what occupied the majority of your time? Where were you at? What were you doing? 
What was your mind consumed with? Think about that for a moment. Then he asked this question. What responsibilities or relationships and responsibilities dominated your schedule? How did people interact, intersect with your world? And what room did you have for other people? Another question. What would you like to have done differently? You look back across the last several days, across the hours. What would you have liked to have done differently? How would you have ordered them? Finally, this last question. Where and how did God emerge as a priority? Where and how did God emerge as a priority? Machia's questions are really meant to be a check to us. To be a check to say, are we really pleased and happy with where we're spending our time? Or are there things where we wished at the end of the day, upon reflection, that we wished we had spent our time in another place? Do we go about our day in in the one sense, feeling busy and having a lot of, uh, we got that picture, Randy? I like this picture. You know, somebody's busy. They've got to do stuff all around. If they're going to describe it at the end, they're not even sure what they've done. They just know they had a lot of sticky notes, a lot of things around them. Or at the end of the day, are we living a purposeful and on purpose kind of life? Jesus, Jesus called a number of people around him as disciples, 12. And he journeyed with them and he taught them. And not only did he teach them, but then he invited them to go out and do some of the things that he was doing. And they loved being around Jesus. They loved being with him. They loved listening to what the kingdom of heaven was like. They they loved living in the midst of the kingdom. They loved doing the work of the kingdom. And yet in the midst of their journeys with Jesus, Jesus often would go off to quiet places, whether it was at night or in the early morning. Sometimes they'd have to look for him, and then he'd reappear, and then they'd go about their business. In Mark, there's a story about Jesus that we want to turn our attention to for just a a brief moment. Because in that place, um, Jesus has sent his disciples off two by two, and they've gone out to do the work that they've been watching Jesus do and the work that that Jesus has, in in fact, invited them to be a part of. They've gone out and they've done it. And then they've come back to Jesus. And the disciples, Mark tells us, are brimming with a lot of joy. They're brimming with a lot of excitement. And they are telling stories about what's been taking place, about how people were healed, about how people opened their life up to, to the kingdom of God, about how people repented and how they wanted to live in the kingdom. And as they come back and they, they rally back around Jesus, Jesus says this. He said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place. Let's go off and rest for a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Um, 
if you uh, open your Bibles up and you read that, or if you go, um, if you use your Bible on the, online, you're going to see that even though Jesus and the disciples go to a quiet place, they're not able to stay quiet for very long. Because in just a moment, Jesus is going to have to teach and preach and then feed 5,000. But at the end, at the end of that story, Jesus will say to the disciples, get in a boat and go back across where you came from. It's quiet on a boat. And Jesus goes up onto a mountain. There's uh, some words in these texts that, that just draw my attention, that have drawn my attention for some time. Uh, one of the things that the text tells us is that many people were coming and going and that the disciples didn't even have time to eat. Now, if you run a business, if you lead a business, if somebody were to tell you that, that people were going to come and go from your business on a frequent basis, you probably would be thrilled. You're, you're like, that means we're busy. That means that business is good. That means that we've got a lot to attend to. Jesus certainly is thrilled to be surrounded by people, to have people who want to be connected to the kingdom. He's happy with it, thrilled with it. If, uh, if you know that you didn't even have time to eat, well, I don't know if you'd be happy about that. I know sometimes I probably would. That would help with my diet if I didn't have time to eat. But he didn't have time to eat. Jesus, I think, looks at that, at that dis description and he realizes that things are a little bit out of balance. Recently, I read Ed Catmull's book called Creativity, Inc., and Ed Catmull's the leader of Pixar Animation and now Disney Animation. And Catmull writes about the rapid growth of Pixar and about how it went from being a computer company to then being a company, a creative company that produced the, their first film in Toy Story. And then they had other ambitions. And then Disney came to them and said, why don't you make Toy Story 2? And, and they're like, we, we don't know if we can do that because we've got all kinds of other things going. And they said, well, go ahead and do it. And so they started to make it. And then they realized that they didn't like the direction it was going. And then they had to shift. And then Catmull says, we had to do an all hands on deck to get this, to get this film right. He said, in the midst of doing that, one of our... Uh, one of the people who was working on the film, they, they weren't getting enough sleep. So they got up and they put their kid in the car and they forgot to drop the kid off at preschool. And the kid was in the parking lot at, at Pixar for hours in the car. And Catmull said that was like a big red, a big red uh, a light on our dashboard saying something is wrong here. When we don't have time to think and we don't have time to pace. One of the things Jesus knew, and one of the things he knew, um, he knew very well, is that there's always, there's always more work, right? The work never stops, it never slows down. In fact, the one thing he said about, uh, about uh, poverty, he said, the poor will be with you always. It's like Jesus was saying, there's always work to be done around issues of poverty. There's always work to be done around issues of justice. There's always work to be done in the healing arts. There's always work to do. But, Jesus says, if you want to 
if you want to thrive, if you want to, if you want to be the person God made you to be, you can't always be about working. You've also got to be about spending time with the Father, about resting, about finding out who you are and who God is. So Jesus said, let's go away to a quiet place. Going away to a quiet place does a couple of things for us, I think. It reminds us that we're not God, right? When you're always doing stuff, when, when you're the one who's leading, when you're the one who has to be dependent upon it, it tends to, to say something to us like we're indispensable. And yet going away reminds us that we're not indispensable. That at some time in life, somebody's going to fill our shoes. Somebody's going to replace us. That we were not God. It was uh, rather striking to me. This A week ago, I went on vacation. And so when all of this started here, which... I have been kind of tapped to be the leader of. I wasn't here to see it transpire. I had to hand that off to somebody else and let things go. And that did something in my own heart, in my own mind, in my own spirit. Like I began to think, should I rearrange my vacation schedule? Then I'm like, no, I shouldn't. Because there's going to come a time and place where we're all going to hand responsibility over to somebody else. And we ultimately, we ultimately are not God. God is God. So when we go away, when we go with Jesus, we get to remind ourselves that God's God and we're not. We also get to be reminded of what God does and how God works and how God cares for the world and how God oversees the world and how God uh, cares about things deeper than we do. This is what I'd, uh, I've been thinking about ever since the election and ever about, uh, you know, been noticing all kinds of comments in the world of social media and on the press. And I would just say this. You know that God cares about the continuation of the world more than we do. He cares about where we're at with a greater depth than what we do. He cares about all humans all humans, more than we can begin to imagine or fathom. And when we go away to quiet places, when we can actually begin to see and hear and listen to God speak, we begin to be reminded of those things. And the world, the world begins to look a different color color of goodness and hope and faith and love. So Jesus says, let's go away. The invitation is to the disciples in that moment, but it's also to us. It's also to us. We too have an invitation from Jesus to go away. Well, how can we do that? What are some routines that we can get into? The Christian tradition, the church has always encouraged us to set some things in place in our daily life, to have a kind of routine that we would schedule so that we could go away and we could meet with God face to face. So 
uh, what are some daily routines you have? James Bryan Smith, a, a writer that we've um, made ourselves aware of here around Schweitzer, he suggests that you start each day with five minutes of silence. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you've got to figure out what your next step is, James Bryan Smith says, just lay in bed for some minutes. Just lay there. Or if you get up right away, find a place where you can have five minutes of silence to let God speak into the midst of your day. Another, um, I heard recently Pastor Bob talked about how if you've got five minutes, if, if five minutes is all you've got, take up the Psalms and read the Psalms for five minutes. Let the words of the psalmist begin to speak into your heart and in your life with a sense of freshness because wherever you're at, the psalmist probably are going to be something that you can identify with and they'll draw you back to what God is doing. If um, there's one picture I'd like to show you, um, this is somebody made a, a prayer cross in their, in their own home and they put a bunch of notes on it and they just keep tagging it. But they, they made a place in their home where they could be real intentional about praying. Um, what, kind of, what kind of place in your home can you set aside to have a daily routine where you go and you pray? You listen, you connect with God. How about some weekly routines? How about a weekly routine of of being in worship, um, being gathered in this place. When we gather together, we remind one another of what God has been doing. I love that, that video this morning, right, about all the things that God does in other people's lives, and we don't hear those things unless we gather together and we hear what God is up to. Another uh, weekly routine, well, I would just say this. One other comment about weekly routines is not only worship important, but taking a Sabbath is critical. Taking a Sabbath is critical to experiencing rest. And so some people who are gathered in this place, I mean, all Sunday, a day set aside for worship is a day where they will work hard, but they've got to take, they've got to take a Sabbath. Some of you, you need, a, you need to pick a day, not on a Sunday, where you're going to take a Sabbath rest. And you're going to sleep in. Or maybe you'll sleep the whole day away because you'll let God carry that day for you and give it to you as a day of rest. How about monthly routines? Um, there's a number of, of monthly routines that you can do. Like you can spend a day simply in, in silence or in quiet with God. You can spend a day uh, in service to other people in fact, maybe even in service, you would say, I'm just not going to, I'm going to withhold my voice, but I'm going to actively serve because I want to serve and I want to live into the life of somebody else. And I want to listen to what God is saying, not through my voice or my thoughts, but I want to listen to what God is saying through serving somebody else. Um, let, let's look at one other routine. How about, um, how about spending a day disconnected from everything. When I um, went away this last, this last week for vacation, I put my phone, I think I put my phone in our, in our van, in the side door of our van, and I just left it there, right? And I didn't go back to it. So if people called or if they left messages, they called and they left messages. But it's one way to get unconnected. 
The other thing that helped me get unconnected was we went on a hayride. Somebody had a phone because we have a picture of it up here, I think. There we go. Put like 50 people on a hayride, on a wagon. We went for a hayride. We went down a, alongside of a creek that I had never been alongside of. And watched the river flow. And actually, part of this routine for me was I hadn't seen a number of my family for a long time. And I love how Pastor Jim talks about the significance of reconnecting with your family. And it was a, it was a real th- thrill and gift to my own heart to be reconnected with some folks that I hadn't seen in a really long time. I loved getting to talk to my mother's uncle, who's 90-some years old, who said, you know, he had a, he had a heart surgery done recently. He said, if I would have known the pain of that heart surgery, he said, I would have skipped it. He said, I'm ready to go to heaven. He said, I, I just, I would have skipped that surgery because I am ready to go to heaven. He said, I know Lord must have something for me to do here, but I am ready to go to heaven. And as I listened to him talk about his sense of readiness and his desire, and the realization there's a time when all of us will hand off the responsibilities we have. But he has a hunger and a thirst in his heart to be face-to-face with God. Face-to-face with God. It's been a desire that he's been working on and growing for a long time, and it's coming into its full sense of, of beauty today. How would you describe your life? Would you describe your life as busy? Would you describe your life as full? Would you describe your life as something that is expressing the rhythms of Jesus? Where you're about the work of Jesus sometimes and you're with Jesus as he goes off to quiet places. Richard Foster compiled a number of prayers in a, in a prayer book called Prayers from the Heart. And in the midst of that, in all those prayers, there's one that I love dearly. It's called A Prayer Over Coffee. And I'd like to share that prayer with you. Because for me, in the morning when I get up and I want to spend some time with the Lord, I want to connect with him before I engage in anything else. I find this prayer really helpful. And I'd love to share it with you. Somehow, Jesus, I like praying with a cup of coffee in my hands. I guess the warmth of the cup settles me and speaks of the warmth of your love. I hold the cup against my cheek and listen, hushed and still. I bow or I blow on the coffee and I drink. O Spirit of God, blow across my little life and let me drink in your great life.